0: Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your
1: toolbox. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnson, And I'm Tracy
0: Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long
1: time. We met right after college. Yeah, in our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then, it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. We make it look good.
0: Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you, and provide some knowledge to other average parents.
1: We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself
1: along the way. Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have.
0: So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody's easy. Apparently, times are a in Ann. Did you know in 1950, 12% of women with children under five were in the workforce? Okay. Okay. Now, check this out. In 2017, 65% of women with children under five are in the workforce. It went from 12% to 65% of y- women with- Yes, kids? like five times as many women- Wow. Have, ...are working and have children under five. Wow. So that's a pretty monumental shift, right? Yep. And yet, when you think about it, the policies and attitudes haven't really shifted um, to keep pace with our family's current realities with working and having families and small kids. And needing two incomes, essentially, right? Exactly. Uh, this was another uh, statistic I saw that I thought was startling. 11 million American children younger than five spend half their waking hours in the care of someone else. Wow. Thank wow. Which so so with that alone, that statistic, it, it makes you pause and I, I thought this would be a good topic to talk about early education. Um I read somewhere that one economist said that you won't find a better public return than investing in early childhood public education. Right. Amen. Uh, You know, I'm a huge proponent of um, quality public education. Uh, I put my money where my mouth is, literally, and um, I'm a school board member. Um, I'm very involved in my local schools and my kids' education, and I've been very blessed and fortunate to be the main caregiver in my house Mm -hmm. for my kids. So I've never had to deal with childcare or babysitters. Um, So I was one of the fortunate few after watching this new documentary called No Small Matter. I have a renewed interest uh, and appreciation for working families and who are struggling to make ends meet and to provide the best. For their kids,
1: yeah. So, and on the flip side of that, when my girls were little, I was teaching at Northwestern. Yep. um, And I had to hire sitters, not like not forty hours a week or more, but a few eight-hour days. And our first sitter has kids of her own now, and we're we're friends on you know Facebook and Insta. You know, um, she was she was a wonderful sitter. Uh, She kept journals. She wrote down things they said and things they did. Awesome. Um, So when I when I got home, my kids would be like, "Yay, we can watch a show!" because they knew that I was not I was going to be distracted. Like I was busy. Working even when I was home, um, and to be honest, I didn't make more than I paid. I mean, I we broke even, so that I could keep my foot yep. in the door. Yes, um, because I knew that at some point they would be old enough to be in school, and I didn't want to be without. That's options. why I stayed
0: home because it wouldn't make sense. Like because all of, I would be working to pay for somebody to watch my kids. Right. So um, I know I bore you with uh, education talk and um, policy and all that stuff, but with as much as I talk about all of this, you'd think I was a teacher, but I, I could never hack being a teacher, not, not for one single day. The stuff that they do in the classroom and the magic that ma- they ha- make happen is just overwhelming. I can't believe it. At the end of the year, like, wow, they've grown so much.
1: Yes, and we are recording this at the end of the Chicago Public Schools school year, and I can just see these teachers walking in with like, Oh, please, let me get through this last couple days. You know, like, you know, I say, I used to say limping across the finish line. I think they're now army crawling across the finish yeah, line. Yeah, going commando. <laughs> just, just trying to get there.
0: You always make fun. You've said this before that I always say knowledge is power. You like You say that all the time, Tracy. But it's actually true. When you know better, you do better, right? So when scientists, psychologists, and educators all talk about the virtues of early education learning, why is a society, is it so hard? To support working parents
1: if we know what needs to be done,
0: right? Like if we know that early intervention and early childhood education is so important, what the hell is the problem?
1: I think the question is, where do we start? How do we start?
0: Yeah. So in 28, this was, I did all kinds of research for this. In 28 states, child care costs more than college. Oh my gosh. So when you're when you're under five years old, that costs more than when you're 18 going off to school. That's yeah, that's crazy. It's one of the most expensive necessities for working families, and the cost of childcare forces families uh, to choose between paying for someone to watch your kids, um, like you and I both did. We decided after producing, like, are we going to go back or, mm-hmm. um, or simply just not to work. The average annual cost of child care is more than twenty thousand dollars in most parts of the country.
1: That yeah, that's. Uh, That's a salary for some people. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we
0: decided to bring in um, an old friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a documentary film writer and co-director, Greg Jacobs, to talk about his film, No Small Matter. Thanks for joining us, Greg.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, we both watched the documentary, and um, I loved it because it's all about kids and education. What was the impetus for the documentary? like? Why, would, why do a film about early education?
2: So when, uh, when we started this, I really didn't even know that it was an issue, um, something that people talk about in this way. Um, the whole thing got started for me and, and my co-directors, John Siskel and Danny Alpert, all have kind of different origin stories for this. But for me, it was we were asked by an organization called the Ounce of Prevention Fund, which is like a big um, early learning advocacy organization based in Chicago, to do a video for their annual luncheon. And so as part of the video, they sent us down to their Educare facility on the South side, which is like this incredible early learning center with like amazing teachers and great families, all for low-income folks on the South side. And after a week there, I was so amazed by um, the work that the teachers did, that, by the engagement of the parents, and, and just by like the light in the kid's eyes mm-hmm. that I kind of thought, why hasn't anybody told me about this before? Yeah. Um, And I I had written a book about school desegregation in my hometown, which is Columbus, Ohio. And I had kind of given up on K through 12, like the battles are so fierce and nothing ever moves. And this sort of made me think, well, what if you actually, what if the one thing we haven't tried is making the raw material that comes into the school system better? Mm -hmm. And like imagining the change and the ripple effect, if you had a kindergarten class where, you know, 20 of the 25 kids We're there and ready to learn instead of five or 10. And just thinking about what a huge difference that would make in everything kind of made me a, like a convert to this cause right away. Uh And from then it was sort of like, all right, let's figure out how do we, how do we tell the big story?
1: The film talks about the importance of the first three years of life.
2: Oh, yeah, um, this good. Yeah,
1: that the brain develops faster than at any other time. Um, and one of the most amazing shots is of a scientist and a newborn facing each other. And the baby mimics the scientist. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so Andy Meltoff is the, the scientist. He's a, a psychology professor at, uh, in Washington. And uh, he did a bunch of experiments uh, many years ago. Where it would be him and like the newest newborn you could find. Mm-hmm. So uh, the babies, I there's one I think that's 42 minutes old. Yeah,
0: yeah freshy. And he,
2: <laughs> freshy, totally fresh, <laughs> wrinkly, and all those things. Goopy. And he would, um, and he would just kind of interact with them by you know uh, opening his mouth and closing it, or um, sticking
0: his tongue out, know,
2: uh, sticking his tongue out, that kind of thing. And the babies who had never seen you know, their own face before. It's not like there are mirrors in the womb, <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, somehow knew in, in, that this part of their body was the thing to move and that that interaction was what, you know, it prompted. And for meltsoff and for others, I think what it, what it's, it showed a few things It showed that babies are born learning right from the start. Um, there's no like blank slate period. Um, that they learn really from the people who are the experts in the world around them, the people who are keeping them alive and protecting them, which is the big people, the grownups. Yeah. Um, and then that, um, that there's like so much going on there at that point um, that it is really this interaction. It's this back and forth. That's the thing that's going to ultimately kind of shape the healthy brain. And, uh, and so it, it makes you realize just right off the bat how important all of this is?
0: Exactly. I I love the sticking the tongue out and the I was oh, yeah. I, I was like because I I don't remember doing it that little. Like I remember when they're like eight months old or something doing it, but these babies were literally just born. Yep, and they were doing yep. it. Yep, my kid didn't open their eyes. Probably
2: weren't in like the condition to do an <laughs> it.
0: How'd you know, Greg? Um, yeah, just a hunch. Yeah. So um, does early education mean learning like the ABCs? What are we like or what does it mean exactly?
2: That's something that a lot of people. It's it's one of the things that we really want to do with the film is really help people redefine what this is, Mm -hmm. because even the term early childhood education, as soon as people hear education, they immediately associate it with school. And so they think that must be pre-K. And pre-K is definitely important, um, but it's just a small part of what we are framing early childhood as. Um, And what's really important is not so much like cramming a kid's head full of information, but it's really those relationships. It's really that back and forth that is that the experiment showed. Um, So that like, you know, reading to a child is great and super important, but it's not because of the information that you're imparting to the one year old or two year old. That's, you know, that's good, but it's really like the explosion that's going on in the baby's brain because mom or dad or whoever is sitting there with them, and having this back and forth. Correct. Um, so we're just trying to make people sort of see this through the filter of it's not school. It's not test. It's this whole ecosystem of relationships that a child has as a, at this crucial moment in their lives that really builds the brain.
0: Experiences.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's experiences and supportive, loving relationships and all that good stuff. Um, the more of that, the better.
1: So you talk about in the film, and and show it beautifully, I don't know how you did that where you sort of showed how to build the brain, but um, you talk about the communications developing pathways, and so the more communication, the more stimulation, the stronger the pathways, and the stronger the brain. What happens if a baby's brain is not stimulated like that?
2: So um, there's like two parts to that. One is um, the brain grows. The, the brain is this weird organ that doesn't come out fully formed. I think it's something like 25% adult size when you're born, and then 70% by the time you're one, and then 85 or 90% adult size by the time you're five. But it's always growing and building. Um, and so, you know, there's like a million connections being made every second um, in, a, in an infant's brain. Um, and if that kept going like that, it would just totally overwhelm it. Um, you'd be like crazy. Uh, Allison Gopnik talks about it as being uh, like drinking eight espressos and being in a foreign country. <laughs> no idea what's going on, but you're so excited. Um, so um, so at a certain point, the brain then says, all right, we got to stop this and we cut everything back. It's called pruning. And, um, and that allows you to start focusing on things and being able to concentrate and really being able to do things you need to do as a human being in the world. Um, So the pathways that are created in those first few years then get built on and built on and built on. Um, And if those pathways are strong and if they're, you know, you have great loving experiences and supportive adults in your life and whatever, then the stuff that is built on top of that is built on a really strong foundation.
0: Uh
2: But if that interaction isn't there, if there's something missing, you're not getting the strong foundation And it makes everything that gets built on top of it a little bit more fragile and then progressively more and more fragile if it doesn't get fixed. Um, So that's part of it, which is not getting enough of the good stuff. But there's another piece of it that people need to understand, I think, which is that, like, if you're the baby in caveman times and somebody's not interacting with you or you're not around people, that kind of means you're a goner. Um, And so that has been wired into our brains, that there's something wrong if the grown ups in your life at that stage are not connecting with you. Mm-hmm. So um, that's still with us. And so what happens, what the brain does is it sends out all kinds of hormonal chemical signals to say, like, do whatever you can to get attention and to make sure there are people around. Mm-hmm. Um, and if those chemicals and those hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, and things like that, keep pumping out and don't have anything to stop it, then it starts to actually corrode the brain. So all this stress that happens in a baby's life, if there's neglect or abuse or there's drug abuse in the home or all kinds of other challenges um, can create like a, a vicious cycle where the body stays on high alert all the time. Mm-hmm. And imagine like I I don't know, a sprinkler that keeps pumping out water long after the ground is saturated. Um, that's what's happening in the body. And it's really, really unhealthy. Yeah. Um, so Great. the babies are getting too much of the not enough of the good stuff. And too much of the bad stuff.
1: This goes to our, our next question, which is about sort of h- how you broke down the film. And I think you were just talking about toxic stress. But let's let's go through the four parts of the film. Trace. Um,
0: I, I saw it broke down into four four parts, the healthy brain development, closing the achievement gap, executive function with Cookie Monster. I love that. Mm-hmm. And toxic stress. Those were the elements and how you broke down the benefits of the high
1: quality early education programs. So we talked about healthy brain development from early on. Um, Does that lead to closing the achievement gap?
2: Yeah. So um, if you don't get enough of that good stuff, um, you know, what happens is that by the time you get to, say, kindergarten, um, maybe you just, you know, you you don't have, you're not equipped with those tools. Um, So in particular, there's between like high-income children and low-income families Uh, high-income folks who may have access to all these experiences and resources. And um, the kids' brains can sometimes be as much as two years ahead in terms of, like, reading comprehension or, I mean, uh, language comprehension. Wow. um, And and abilities and things like that. So there is a a deficit through no fault of the kids' own by any means, and really no fault of the parents' own either. Um, There's a a deficit that starts in kindergarten, and the studies have shown that it doesn't close – or it doesn't get better and doesn't get worse by the time they graduate from high school. So you're basically two years behind. forever, And then you get to forever. Um, and that is just, I mean, that's the immoral is the word I would use to well, describe that.
1: And also think about it. If you if you are two years behind, your attitude towards school is going to be dramatically different because you're going to feel that and you're not going to want to learn because, or you're going to be so frustrated. So it's it's compounded.
2: Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where uh, you the kids really, you know, you can only learn if you feel safe and you feel secure. Um, and certainly having, you know, the confidence that you belong there is part of that. And, it, you know, it, it becomes a real vicious cycle uh, if you don't have that. Um, and there's, you know, it's uh, one of the things that we always want to be clear about is that this is, the brain is plastic, which means it's changeable. Yep. Um, and you can always, you know, with intensive effort, Rectify that, but that effort is really hard, and it costs a lot of money, and it's kind of stupid to do it after the fact instead of getting it right the first time.
1: Exactly, early intervention. Yeah. So, so Greg, explain executive function because that was a an interesting part, and that is a big part of what makes classrooms successful, right?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, we so we uh, um, one of the things I think we realized with the film was that um, you you have to answer two questions. You have to say why is this why is early childhood experiences in early education. Why is it important? And that's the brain development stuff and all that. But also, why is it important now? Like, why is it something that we talk about so much now and we didn't talk about when we were kids or nobody talked about when we were kids? Um, And part of that is that the changing workforce, education is so much more important to getting uh, a job where you can support a family here. Um, And you need certain skills in that Job market. You need to be able to collaborate, and you need to be able to uh, work with others, and you be, need to be able to operate computers, all that stuff. So, that is all executive function, and that's more important now than it was thirty years ago. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot more factory jobs and that kind of thing. So, turns out that executive function is rooted in a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, which um, comes online around age three. And doesn't stop growing, as anybody who has teenagers knows, uh, until you're about 25. Um, So those first few years are when a lot of this foundation is getting wired in for the skills you need later on in school and in the workplace. So um, I think schools are starting to really understand that we need to focus on building those skills, because if you can't sit still and you can't uh, remember things and you can't follow instructions and all that kind of stuff, Um, And it's really hard to concentrate. It's really hard to learn anything. Correct. Uh, So teachers, it seems like, would much rather have kids who have those skills coming into kindergarten than who know how to read or know the alphabet or whatever.
1: The way you showed that in the movie was hilarious. You had an interview with uh, someone and then um, she was interrupted by a famous (laughs) furry friend. Do you want to explain that one?
2: So, spoiler alert. (laughs) Oh, sir, Wait, wait,
1: Greg, do you want me not to talk about that?
2: No, 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 fine. We've, we've opened the door. You know, <laughs> it's, it's Cookie Monster time. Um, yeah, we, we thought, you know, what, who is the greatest representative of the challenge of executive function in early learning? Um, and that, you know, eventually you're going to come to Cookie Monster. Um, and so we uh, have Cookie Monster, who interrupts the interview with the Sesame Workshop woman, uh, and then is essentially told that if he can hold on and be patient, um, he will get a whole plate of cookies, which yes. makes Cookie Monster obviously super excited. Giddy. Um, so then he does a couple of different tasks. And it's funny because I know that um, uh, people will see the movie and they'll remember some of this stuff and hopefully it'll change the way they see their, the world. But the one thing that nobody will ever forget is Cookie Monster doing karaoke to Total Eclipse of the Heart. That's like Yes, it's we're doomed to that.
1: <laughs> hey, if if that's the mark you leave on the world, I think you're okay.
2: It is something, but I I mean, I have they like it was really hard. We had to actually um kind of edit around me laughing um in that moment because we we had him do a number of different songs and that was really the one that was the killer. <laughs>
1: That was great. The clincher. Um, What about toxic stress? You were starting to talk about that with a buildup of the hormones.
2: Yeah. So toxic stress is something I think that it's it's a challenge to understand because it sounds like a disease. Yeah. Sounds like something you can catch. Yeah. Or is contagious. Um, But really, it's just a way of describing the body's reaction to constant stress. Uh, unalleviated by an adult presence or an adult a supportive adult. Right. So in those, you know, in that in the body, if you if something happens in your one year old or a two year old, you're basically counting on something goes wrong. There's a grown-up who is going to scoop you up and let you know everything's gonna be okay.
0: Yeah. Make you feel and safe.
2: How, make you feel safe. Make you feel loved, all of that. And that's how the body calibrates the stress response system. And we all need the stress response system. I mean it's, it's like as someone says in the film, people who didn't develop that Evolutionarily, they got eaten. Yes, right. um, so they're not around. Yes. Um, so we need to develop that. But if that, as we talked about, if that keeps going unchecked, and if there isn't a grown-up who can kind of help teach you how to turn it on and off um, just through their responses, then it starts to do really bad things to the body. And the the amazing thing to me was not like just that it sort of corrodes brain circuits and and affects the way you can learn but then it also affects all these other developing systems in the body. So it comes out not just in learning and kindergarten readiness and things like that, but decades later in, you know, how likely you are to get heart disease or diabetes or even commit suicide. Um, So it has these incredibly long lasting kind of hidden impacts on the body that are like just kind of mind boggling. But you'd never think what happens, what's happening to you as a two year old, would rebound 50 years later.
0: Exactly. But it does. Right. So I was reading in uh, education, I, I subscribe to all these blogs and, and so on, and um, one of these periodicals I was reading said that, an economist said that every dollar invested in early childhood saves $4 dollars. Because children who participate in early education are less likely to require special education services or they're less likely to end up in the costly juvenile justice system. That that was striking to me because, you know, investing in, in childhood, early childhood education, um, I believe you t- even talked about that in the film, didn't you? How much the United uh, States spends?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy that we don't do this, but... Um You know, the the numbers vary. There's $4, some people say $7, some people say $3.50, whatever. It's sort of like the exact number doesn't really matter. It's just that there's so much evidence that shows that this is the best public investment. We can make this has the best return um, because of all the things you mentioned. Like if we do it early and get it right, um, we're paying so much less over time than we would if we get it wrong and we have to fix it. Um, And the thing is because of, you know, we were just talking about the health impacts. Like, I think those numbers are going to keep going up, Those that return on investment. Because if you think about, you know, if we can prevent toxic stress in, you know, a certain percentage of children, and that reduces, like, heart disease by 1%, that's billions and billions of dollars. Yes, big money. It's big money. And it also, you know, it's not just the kids that it helps, too. It's the parents. And this is something that they're just starting to understand is how much the parent stress and the children stress are this kind of cycle um, that affect each other. So if you get the parents less stressed and you can get them to engage more with the kids, it helps the kids and you know, emotionally and biologically. And then the kids become calmer and they're kind of like, oh, this is kind of nice. And that makes the parents go, maybe I can do this. And it becomes this virtuous cycle that makes things better and better. So it's not just about helping the kids with toxic stress; it's always about helping the parents as well.
0: Right. In the in the film, it was helping empowering the parent, um, the one
1: a woman, the one mom who was going to class. Avance in, in Avance. Yeah. At in Waco, Texas, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly. No, that's uh, that's a great program, and there are so many programs like this that are doing this, where it's really, you know, it's about. Getting the parents to have some confidence in their abilities, some inf- more information than they might have had about what helped, um, and then a little hope. And you just start to see the impact, like, blossom. Yes. Um, I can be a good parent, and my kid can maybe have a better life than me.
0: Exactly. It was contagious, like, in the room when you saw her
1: in the class with all the other moms. It was really cute.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, Absolutely.
1: So one group you profiled was called Mission Readiness, and it was an unlikely group in my in my head. I didn't know where that was going at yeah. all at first. Because these are all retired <laughs> veterans pushing for early education. It's like a whole bunch of old white dudes. So what's behind that?
2: It's funny. It's, yeah, that's the other thing that people really remember, um, <laughs> is that all of a sudden these military guys are saying, talking about babies, It's like, what is going on? This is upside down land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, uh, they are an organization and they, you know, they actually have what they call unlikely champions. Um, so it's, um, it's evangelical ministers, sports figures, all kinds of different people that you may not expect to be speaking out about early childhood. But the military folks have kind of a double interest in it. Uh, the stat that everybody remembers is that, um, 71% of, uh, people ages 17 to 25 couldn't qualify, wouldn't be allowed to, be in the military even if they wanted to because they're not educated enough, they have physical problems, they have a criminal record, all the things that early childhood helps with.
1: Yeah, that was so, huge,
2: 71%. 71%, which is crazy. So if you think about, like, early childhood education, getting this right for kids and families as a um, as like a, a, a military thing, as a national security issue, um, it's really interesting. So that's, the, that's part of their interest is in making sure that in an all-volunteer force, they're getting to pick from the best people possible. Absolutely. And if the people aren't qualified, then it just keeps weakening and weakening force. And the then... other part of it is that the military in the last 30 years has developed probably the best childcare system in the country because they used to have terrible childcare. Um, but again, like for an all volunteer force, you need perks and you need families to be taken care of and you need soldiers to not be stressed out thinking about their kids if they're, you know, uh, in battle. Um, so, they have built a really, really strong system of uh, early learning and family support, and so they need to. They want to keep that going as well. Um, so when you think about that, the military not only sort of gets the importance, but they also really get it right. Yeah. Uh, you can start thinking about how, huh? Maybe we can scale that up, and maybe civilians can have that too.
0: Can you imagine a day when companies offer, like the military does, on-site daycare? I think about all the big companies, um, that everyone wants to work for and get the free lunches and the workout room and the massages and all this <laughs> stuff. And those are all great and everything, but for a working parent, like that doesn't, that doesn't, ha- it's nice, but that's not really what they need.
2: Totally. I mean the um, I, the answer the short answer is I can't imagine that day uh, um, I'd love to imagine it but I can't okay um, and I think part of it is that childcare is such a, a complicated and difficult uh, and expensive thing that I think it's it's unlikely that we're going to wass- that we can assume that companies around the country will take this on I mean not just be- not because they're bad people but because maybe so we don't even want Companies to do that. At the same time, like it's great when they can and when they do. uh, As long as they extend it to all the employees and not just the highest-paid employees, because that's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, But if they, if all these companies did other stuff to support families, you know, scheduling that was predictable and regular, or you know, paid family leave, um, or maybe subsidies for childcare in your neighborhood, then that would be a total game changer. And and one thing I have to say is that the business community is in a lot of ways ahead of this game much more than others. So there's a huge business interest in this and, and that's been great to see. So part of the point of the film is to keep getting this in front of business audiences so that they see, how important it is for their workers.
1: The value and and importance. And for
2: the future of the workforce as well.
1: Yeah. So, Greg, let's shift gears a little. Um, You also talk about child care providers and their salaries. Um, In the film, these preschool teachers who are fantastic, they're working two jobs, and one of them says people, they treat them like babysitters. How wrong is that? And and why aren't they paid more?
2: Yeah, that's the worst. Um, And the whole movie is, in a way, an argument leading up to that point that if we, if we understand that relationships are uh, the key to all of this and that most parents can't take care of their kid at home, that the people who are taking care of the kids had better be good and loving and had better not stress, be stressed themselves. Um, so, you know, the, the stats on the early childhood workforce are just, like, unbelievable. Um, something like 46%. Is on public assistance in some way. The average salary is something like $11.50. I don't know. Something just really, really low like that. Uh, And the turnover is maybe 25 to 30% a year.
0: Wow. I wanted to go to that preschool. That preschool that you profiled? Oh my God. That looked like the bomb diggity.
2: That's the best. And to see that magic, like the magic that these incredible teachers create, um, just dissolve like that Hmm. because they can't sustain it. It's heartbreaking. It's totally heartbreaking. They were crying. Because, like it, they were crying, and I mean, when you see the film with audiences, they're not the only ones crying. I mean, it's really a powerful thing because all you want is for that person to be in that classroom,
1: right? Yeah. Because
2: yep. she's so they're so good. Yeah. Um, but it's so it's really heartbreaking. And so you know, when you think about like the workforce who can't afford childcare for their own kids, and how stressed they must be, and and sometimes uninformed and not qualified. Um, that we really need to start paying them more uh, in order to make sure that this incredibly important job is being um, valued the way it should.
0: Exactly. At the end of the film, you show statistics about early childhood education. Um, I saw it was supported by Republicans, Democrats, independents.
1: So wh- what do we need to do? You know, what,
0: what's the solution to the child care crisis?
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, the great thing about the issue is that it's like the one issue that is and should be nonpartisan or at least has people on the on the republican side people on the democrat side support it sometimes for different reasons but they're doing both sides are doing really interesting things around the country in this and you know i always say that like if you you can have republicans and democrats screaming at each other about something and uh and if you ran up to them and handed them a baby they would Both respond exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, So there's something about the issue that I think can bridge the gap. Universal. If it can do that, it then affects so many other issues. It affects criminal justice. It affects healthcare. It affects business. It affects economy. All of that. That it can have a ripple effect. It's way beyond just this issue. Um, So I always, you know, I like always like to point to five buckets that. You know, if you are thinking about this issue, you should make sure that whatever candidate you support has something to say about these five things. Um, And they're prenatal care, home visiting, um, paid family leave, child care and pre-K. And that pretty much covers this time period for people. Um, And that those are the if we can start to shift the focus to those issues, um, then I think we'll see a huge change.
1: All right, on a side note, because we have to wrap up, but um, I want to say how engaging the film is. It sounds like you know, oh, early childhood education that will be really boring, but it is so delightful with these babies learning and laughing and being surprised and engaged. And then, did you put GoPro cameras on parents and, and babies?
2: Uh, we we did some of that, but it's amazing how many parents actually, on their own accord, put GoPros on babies. Oh, uh, we really? we wanted to show little disturbing, actually. We wanted to show um, what it looks like, what what this interaction looks like from the baby's perspective. So put yourself in the baby's tiny little socks um, and think about how the big people are looking at you and acting and interacting with you. So it's kind of a wondrous thing to see. Um, and uh, uh, so that's great. And there's, you know, we really felt like nobody wants to see 70 minutes of misery when it comes to babies and little kids. Like that would just be who could stand that, you know? So we wanted to make sure that it was also funny and entertaining and emotional. So my favorite part, maybe in the whole movie, is when a dad puts a like a wok on top of his head to try to make the baby laugh. And this little chubby baby just immediately turns red and bursts into tears.
0: Oh, he was distraught. That baby was upset.
2: Oh, my God. It's so funny. Um, like, what are
1: you doing to those, my daddy? You
2: know, exactly. What is my daddy doing to himself? Yeah. So, um, so we just wanted to make sure that people also remember, like, why we love kids and how fun they are and how goofy and uh, and why we connect with them like that. So I'm glad to hear it was entertaining. That's yeah, uh, seeing important. it
0: in action, seeing the actual preschools and, and kids, because, you know, when you put your kid in preschool or in, in child care, you don't see what goes on. So when you see the interactions and the curiosity and the – just general like awe and magic of life like how they just look at like digging for a worm or a bug was like like the most epic thing they've ever done and just they're singing and just the the no filter things that the kids were saying it was like you forget the wonder of of early childhood like how everything is so magical you're not jaded yeah. yet <laughs>
1: you no know, and it's one of the, my favorite moments is that they they find this praying mantis egg and they go through a bunch of learning about it and this one little kid keeps calling it a tarantula <laughs> and this educator's like okay and that was the epitome of patience right yes. there
2: oh yeah yeah it's, the, it's the, i mean those those teachers rachel and tracy and the other teachers in that room are, are never anything more than totally 100% present for yeah. those kids. They're never looking at their phone or, you know, no. disengaged. It's unbelievable. And all I can ever think is if I did that for 20 minutes, I would end up like rocking back and forth in the corner of the room, sobbing, going, please take me out of here. Same. So they're heroes. They're unbelievable. Yes.
0: Special people for those, those Special roles. Special people.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Greg Jacobs, writer and co-director of No Small Matter. Um, it's being screened across the country, and it starts its Chicago run tomorrow night at the Gene Siskel Film Center. You can find out more at nosmallmatter.com. dot com. Um, thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, guys. This was great. Well done. Love it. Thanks. So apparently, the push for early childhood education has momentum, but we need to make it a movement. So let's figure out how to close the achievement gap and end intergenerational poverty. We have nothing to lose and pretty much everything to gain, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those early years are are pivotal for their futures,
0: for kids' futures. And for the country's future. Absolutely. So, Anne, this is the beginning of season four. Four seasons, man. Yeah. Episode one of season four. Yep. Uh, If you... All, I thank you, everyone, for listening, first of all, um, if you've been listening since the beginning. Uh, if if you like what you hear, we would love for you to share uh, our podcast with others and review us on iTunes. We could always use some reviews. Um, on, subscribe. Subscribe. Because or you know. subscribe. Yep, absolutely. Share the podcast with your friends. Um, even that would be fantastic to, to spread the word about, uh, apparently. And we'd love to hear from you. You can check out our Facebook page.
1: Or give us a call at 331-704-0046. Or email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look easy.